The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Welcome back, everyone, to Biopsychosocial, um, a podcast about things biological, psychological, and social. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. I haven't done an intro in a very long time. You, you did amazing, sweetie. Thank you. Uh, you're fantastic. I'm your ultimate. We're each other's ultimate hype, hype women. It's true. It is true. It is true. So welcome everybody to to our to our little little show here, another harrowing adventure and all things strange and weird. We hope you're all having a wonderful Sunday, except of course for Brian Laundry's parents. I hope your Sunday sucks. Well, we're, we're gonna put this out on a Saturday though. Oh well, I hope you're having. A, <laughs> well, I'll just say that I'm hope I hope you're having a nice weekend. Same same goes for Brian Laundry's parents. I I don't hope you have a nice weekend. Yeah, we never hope they have a lice, an, a lice weekend or a nice weekend. I hope you have a lice weekend. Yes, that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good insult for people. You know, there I you hope go. you have a lice weekend. Hope you get lice. I hope you're cursed with nits for the rest of your life. Oh oh, <laughs> may you always get a runner in your pantyhose. I'm not a good. Oh. I'm not even a good insulter too. I just like hope very mildly annoying things happen to you. Well, that's better. It's like I hope you can never find a parking spot, and every time you think that there's an empty parking spot, it's just a really short car next to a long car. I hate that. Or it's a motorcycle. <laughs> or you get that jackass that parks their truck between two spots. I'm sorry, Kevin. Your car's not that nice. No, and it's still gonna get dinged, probably on purpose. Now I know because it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be me because I'm mad. Uh, I hope that they never have the dipping sauce of your choice. Yes, I hope you stub your toe every uh, day. I do that all the time, and my vitamin D is like dangerously low, so my doctor worries about how much I stub my toe. <laughs> Maybe wear some steel-toed boots from now on. I should just wear steel-toed boots just in case I want to kick somebody. Oh, I realize I left my notes over in the living room. Hold you on. should probably get those. What was that? What? What was that noise? Did you have to climb over a chain link fence to get to your notes? Yes. <laughs> are you are you playing Global Guts at your house and you didn't invite me? Yes, but I couldn't. They were all out of slime, so. Oh, that's um, a real bummer. Yeah. They should have, oh my God, best idea ever. They should have Legends of the Hidden Temple for women over 30. And we could be, we can be on a team together. I loved that show. So what, did I. What team would you be on though? I would be on the Red Jaguars. If you say what? purple parrots, we're going to have to fight. <laughs> no, it was the, it was it blue piranhas. The blue barracudas get it blue together. Blue barracudas, uh, of course, it has to rhyme. Um, I mean, isn't a barracuda type of piranha? Oh, we should do barracuda because that song. Ooh, barracuda, which is about sexual harassment, by the way. Oh, so we should be the blue barracudas. It's settled. Yes, mm-hmm. perfect, perfect. So we will be the blue barracudas. We will get out in the first round. We will be sent home with a mediocre prize like Nestle Quick. 
Yeah, Nestle Quick or a yo-yo. <laughs> you and I sitting out on the front stoop with a, like playing with a yo-yo and drinking Nestle Quick that we undoubtedly spiked. And they're like, you need to leave now. <laughs> they're yeah. like, we didn't even get the good compensation prize, the mountain bike. <laughs> Listen, don't tell me how to live my life. And then, you know, we're arrested. <laughs> But I loved how the one of like the top prizes was a trip anywhere in the contingent United States, and the kids would always be like, "I want to go to Arizona." Like what? <laughs> some kid, you know, there was some weird kid that was like, "Let's go to Indiana." <laughs> Let's go to Gary, Indiana. <laughs> At least there's a song, and it's also where "Now and Then" took place, which I loved when I was a kid. So I might have wanted to go to Indiana. <laughs> That was my, that's where I first learned about tarot cards was from that movie. And, you know, oh, interesting, which is fine. Uh, So, so this is our very special Halloween episode. Not that any of our episodes are, you know, not witchy or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it was, um, it's a true crime from our, our native state of Connecticut. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And it, it happened 46 years ago today, October 30th. Yes, on a holiday known as Mischief Night, which does work into the story. Did you ever go out for Mischief Night? No, that didn't sound like fun to me at all. But every year and still to this day, I don't know who's doing it at this point. The street <laughs> leading up to my parents' house gets like all of the trees get toilet papered. Every year for the last, I'm 32. So at least for the last 32 <laughs> years, I don't know who's doing it. <laughs> do you think like the people that used to do it now bring their children and their children's <laughs> I, maybe it's my parents. I don't know. I could see your dad doing that. And I could I, see your mom like driving. Yeah. And handing him the toilet paper roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, this is one of my mom's favorite true crime cases. I think because partly because I happened in Connecticut. And also there was a made for TV movie on it that came out probably around 2012, which I was going to watch just for ha-has, but I procrastinated. But, you know, mm. after this, I might get wine drunk and watch it. Which sounds like a pretty solid, you know, way to spend my Sunday. But yeah, I think this was, I'm going to get into, like, kind of as the story unfolds, I was really, like, this one really hit me. This one really, like, got to me. I was pretty upset. I had to stop the documentary a couple of times and, Mm -hmm. like, take a lap around my kitchen and collect myself a little bit. Because it really, like, this one hit, hit close to home. I didn't realize how little I actually knew about the case. Mm. I, yeah, I knew quite a bit just because I liked that cheesy made for TV movie. And also, you know, I'm a big Kennedy fan, a big Kennedy buff, and they're related to it somehow. So this, Mm -hmm. um, so this piqued my interest anytime I heard about it, or anytime it's been on the news, I've, I've listened to it. But and there were stuff that I like, I I honestly hadn't examined the case since I was younger. Um, But as you know, as looking at it as an adult, and in my 30s, I, you know, relate to it a lot differently than I did when I was a preteen slash young teenager, mm-hmm. which I think is, I kind of like doing that just in general, like re-examining things as we get older and as we evolve. So even if it's something that you know a lot about, it's really cool to, and really good to kind of go back and uh, look at something that you hadn't looked at in a while. Mm-hmm. And this was big news in Connecticut. Um, sure. When, Michael Skakel was first, when he was first tried. 
Yeah, it was in the early 2000s, 2002. Right, but we were too young, I think, to know what the hell any of it meant. I mean, I remember seeing it on TV and being like, what's going on? My mom was like, it's a big deal. And I was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to go back to playing Barbies. I watched, I remember that was around the time when the movie came out and I knew Mark Furman was involved in it, but I didn't really grasp, you know, his backstory because I was, you know, I was a toddler when the OJ trial happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have vague memories of it, but I was, you know, I was too young to understand the gravity of it. So I knew it was sort of like, I knew it was a clusterfuck, but... I didn't really understand. I knew Michael Skagel was, yeah, I knew Michael Skagel was going to jail for it. And then in more recent years when he was, we'll get to that, you know, when he was released from prison and, re, you know, not retried, retried all that stuff, you know, I kind of reintroduced myself to the case. But this is the first time I've delved into it after a while. And I think after doing this podcast, you know, I, and also true crime being on more of the forefront of, you know, America's of of America's knowledge or, you know, having more access to true crime, you kind of relate to this case a lot differently and notice stuff a lot more. So where shall Uh, we start? The very beginning, as Julie Andrews would say, it's a very good place to start. So I sang that to one of my students the other day and I was like, she looked at me like I had four heads and I, which is, which is fair. And I was like, have you ever seen the sound of music? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, I haven't either, but I know that song. You haven't seen the sound of music. No, I think the interest kind of passed me by. You know what I mean? I saw it as like a younger per I saw it as a younger person and also Captain Von Trapp ripping up the the Nazi flag mm, was yeah, fabulous. So what what documentary did you watch, Bob? So I watched um there was a special, a three-part special on Oxygen. It called Murder and Justice. Mm-hmm. And it was hosted by Laura Coates, who is a formal former federal prosecutor from Washington. I didn't watch the third part because A, I didn't have time, and B, it was kind of getting repetitive anyway. Yeah. But it was pretty good. I mean, it was it was similar to the one that we had watched, one of the specials that came out about Jean Bonnet. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of in that sort of style where they took clues and aspects of the crime and kind of like act- reenacted it to see if they could pick up anything new, I guess. Sure. Um, um, it was interesting. It was interesting. Um, I didn't find that one. I watched true crime authors on the History Channel. Okay. I had to deal with a lot of Mark Furman, but I, I, I dealt with it. He was in the documentary I watched too, like briefly, but he was in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I had to be annoyed by him and I had to compartmentalize him a little bit because the case he did, the work that he did on this case was good. So the basic, so the facts of this case. So in 1975, October 30th, Mischief Night, Cabbage Night, whatever is your local, you know, jargon for it. Martha Moxley was murdered. She was a 15 year old girl. She lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, in the gated community of Bell Haven, which was the bougie neighborhood of the richest town. Mm in the country, I think they cited it as. And the case went unsolved for over two decades um, mm-hmm. until 1998 when Mark Furman decide, decided to write a book about it that nobody asked for. But that, you know, kind of brought in and some other events kind of brought it back into the public consciousness. Um, and in the early 2000s, it ended up uh, getting solved, going to trial, and then cut to the late 2000s when everything caught on fire. 
other stuff happened, but we will get to that. You know, the Moxleys had only moved to that town a year before. Yep. Yep. So Dorothy Moxley, the mother, David Moxley, the father, John Moxley, the son, he was a year or two older than their daughter, Martha Moxley who was 15 years old at the time of her death. So she was 14 when they moved to Belhaven. She, Dorothy says in the documentary that I watched that um, the weekend before Mm -hmm. um, Martha had stayed out late. So she was grounded for staying out later than her curfew. And she was like, well, mom, I really want to go out. It's mischief night. And her mom was like, okay, whatever, just go. And she did not come home when she was expected to. So, I think Dorothy called one of Martha's friends and yep. her friend was like, oh, she went out with Tommy Skakel. She went to go hang out with them. And Dorothy was like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, wait a little while longer. Yep. And went to bed. And when she woke up, Martha was not in her room. Yeah. Yeah. Around midnight. Um, I want to give, I want to give Dorothy Moxley a big hug because I know, I know. Cause Martha was doing dumb teenager stuff. She stayed out late and her mom was like, yeah, all right, it's mischief night. Go out, come back by 10, which I'm not a parent, but I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. Like, all right, you're not going to be 15. You know, that's stupid shit you only do when you're 15 years old. Go out and do it. Come home at a decent hour. I'm still pissed at you. And, And then Martha never came home. So I feel bad for her survivor's guilt. And she is in her mid to late 80s now and she is still in indeed alive so i can't even i can't even imagine it you know my heart always goes out to you know moms that have lost children she says in the um she says i don't tell new people i had i had a daughter so to not burden them with the story which broke my heart i know the thing with i i'm a big proponent of just sharing your grief with other people because it's so relatable everybody's Mm -hmm everybody's felt that loss. It's the, it's the sad side of love. Everybody has lost a person, a pet, a situation in their life that they've loved. And to say like, Hey, I'm going through something really hard. Or if it's, you know, somebody that you loved has passed and it's the anniversary of their death or their birthday, like just kind of verbalizing that. Or if you're a mom that's lost children and mother's day is coming up, throw up your hand and say like, I I needed a little extra support because people will be there. I, I think it, it could have also been re-traumatizing for her, though, to oh, have to talk about it over and over and over. So to the point where, you know, she had to probably tell her story to police, to the, yeah. during, in court, to newspapers. So by the time everything was over, she probably just didn't want to talk about it anymore. That's a know? good point, too. It's like people that have to come out. You have to come out over and over again. You have to, like, come mm-hmm. out as a bereft person, too. You have to come out as a person that's lost their child. It's like, a, it just goes to show there's no good way to go through this. It's just right, shitty. Exactly, yeah. You either have to pretend it didn't happen or you have to cut open your wounds. Whatever you want to do, girl, I'm here for you. I think it is worth mentioning. So in this bougie-ass community, they lived near the Skakels, which are mm-hmm. a subset and, you know, to get personal, my least favorite subset of the Kennedy family. Um, <laughs> yes, I have echelons of Kennedy family. Uh, so the Skakels, a little bit about them, um, Rushton Skakel, who is the brother of Ethel Kennedy Skakel, who is the widow of Robert F. Kennedy and Taylor Strips would be mother-in-law if things worked out differently. Um, Sister Dodge Bullet. 
So Russian Skagel was a Great Lakes carbon tycoon, which produced petroleum, great for the environment, and had seven children. His wife had died previously. And apparently after, you know, his wife died, everything went fuck all. So seven children, they talk about a sister living in the home, but the two main players in this are Tommy Skakel, 17. He was the hot one. Michael Skakel. <laughs> he was the hot one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's this whole thing. Michael Skakel, 15, living in the shadows of the hot one. So yes. it's Marsha Brady and Jan Brady for any children of the 70s, not us, mm-hmm. but you know, still. Um, so I am constantly annoyed by the Skagel subset of the family. I, I did force myself to watch a documentary on Ethel Skagel. So I was doing a practice for a while when I was trying to become a better person where I watched documentaries about people I didn't like. Mm -hmm. As I watched a documentary on Ethel Skagel, I found that she is a big animal advocacy person. So I felt better, better about her. Good for her. Yeah. I watched a documentary on Donald Trump. Still nothing I like. He can still go to hell. (laughs) So, yeah. So I was doing that practice for a while. I've since stopped doing that practice and decided I was just going to trust my own instincts because they're right. But just also, she comes from a Republican family, you know, kind of an unruly, boisterous crowd. You know, the Connecticut rich old money, Mm -hmm. but they're really loud and annoying at parties. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. So, for those of you who don't know, I mean, we already said that Greenwich is one of the wealthiest cities, towns in the United States. It's like I can't even afford to think about Greenwich. If I can't that gives either, you a no. better, if that gives everybody a better idea, um, it's not a place I've ever frequented. I mean, I went to Westport like once in my life, but there's really there's nothing for me there. Really, <laughs> that's a good a way to put it. Yeah. It's a bunch of very wealthy white people. A lot of um, folks who work in New York City live there. It's the reason why the income disparity is so large in Connecticut. We have Mm -hmm. a lot of very impoverished people and very wealthy people. And it's why Connecticut gets such a bad rap. Like, oh, you're from Connecticut. Are you rich? It's like, no. No. (laughs) Not even close. So when I, I'm thinking of the Skakel family, I'm thinking these these people, and I could be wrong, of course, I don't know any of them in person, but I'm thinking these are folks who are very entitled to have whatever they want, because that's mm-hmm. what they get is whatever they want. Right. Oh. And, and as evidenced by, tell me your nurse without telling me your nurse, you say as evidenced by, the boys, Tommy and Michael kind of got into some trouble, you know, getting arrested for stealing shit. Yeah, you you don't have more money than God or anything. So Russian Seikel had the local police force on the payroll. They Mm. did security for parties. They parked cars at parties. So kind of, you know, kept the cops in their back pocket a little bit. So, you know, the boys wouldn't be held accountable for their crimes. Not that they would because they're rich white people. And And I think it's worth noting, too, that that the the Moxley family, like you said, had just moved there. So their roots weren't as deep. They didn't have no. the same, even though, you know, their money could have p- purchased them some resources. They didn't mm. have the same resources in that way as this Skakel family. Right. And they were, uh, you know, arguably new money. And the Skakels were, you know, the epitome mm. of old money. Um, the documentary I watched, it said the Skakels had more monies than the Kennedys at that point. Yeah, which the Kennedys, you know, just had more had more power than money, but that's you know another story for another day. So they were the they were the family. They were the ultimate connected family. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, fast forward to mischief night, Martha was grounded, allowed to go out, went out with some toilet paper and some shaving cream to go fuck all. And the Skakels threw a party because Rushton was out of town. The only responsible adult, I use the term loosely, was Ken Littleton, the hired live-in tutor for Michael and Tommy, as, you know, who didn't have a live-in tutor growing up? And he had literally moved in that day. Yeah. And he was like, what the fuck did I just get myself into? Uh Yeah. So he was upstairs watching television while, you know, the Skakel boys threw themselves a rager. Allegedly. Allegedly. So Michael and Tommy had a little something, something going on, probably a flirtation, probably what, you know, Michael thought was a flirtation because Martha acknowledged the fact that he existed. This is part of where it became upsetting for me, by the way. And then Tommy, the hot one, which by the way, looking at pictures of him, he ain't it. Hit on her, Michael got pissed off, and then Martha elected to, you know, head off with Tommy into the night. Her choice. Yeah, she was like, well, look at the time. You guys are going to fight over me. I think I'm going to leave. Well, no, she went with Tommy. Yeah, she, but she yeah. was like, this is getting tense. I'm going to leave. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe she just wanted to make out with them. Who cares? Which, you know, girl, fine. Because um, they, so Michael and Tommy had a really contentious relationship. Brothers close in age tend, tend to do that. And by all accounts, Michael was seen as the problem child. Right. The weaker one, you know, the, you know, the fat younger one. Uh, so, so Martha elected to go out with Tommy, Dorothy Moxley around 10 o'clock was standing in her kitchen and heard noises outside the dogs going ape shit in the neighborhood. So midnight rolls around, Martha's not home. Dorothy calls the neighbors to see where she was. They said she was last seen with Tommy Skakel around 930. Dorothy calls the police. They, you know, do a little search of the neighborhood. We'll get to them in a little bit. They don't find her. Mm-hmm. Noon the next day rolls around. A young girl in the neighborhood is walking around and finds Martha dead in the brush, face down. Um, Dorothy had this quote that just, you know, really hit me to my core. And she said, everything left. Mm. And that's like, like, you can feel that. Like, that moment where you're like, who just sucked all the oxygen out of the room? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe it. It's Lemony Snicket in one of the um, A Series mm-hmm. of Unfortunate Events books yeah. described it as, you know, when you're walking up the stairs and you think that there's an extra step and mm-hmm. your foot suddenly falls through the darkness and hits the floor and you realize there's nothing there is what yeah. grief feels like. And I was like, that's a perfect way to describe that it. That is and the perfect I, way I to describe it. Yeah. Dorothy hit the nail on the head too. Like, I remember, you know, I being in the throes of grief, you just wish somebody would punch you in the face just mm-hmm. to like, so it would just so you can f- feel physically how you feel emotionally. So, so again, my, my heart goes out to her. Um, she actually had friends with her. I, you know, there's no good way to get this news, but I'm glad that she had a support system. Her husband, and this also made me sad. I guess her husband was away on business. So she had to call him mm-hmm. and she, he had to fly cross country I think he was like back on the west coast he had to fly cross country by himself knowing that his daughter was dead which mm. uh, uh, which is which is hideous there's no other way to put it like just like <laughs> you don't have your you don't even this is unfathomable you don't even have your people and you're trying to functionally 
fl- fly across the country. I I, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I don't even know what I would do. Mm-hmm. So what did the police find when oh, they searched? Oh my god! Uh, all right. So the cops who had no ha- had no training in homicide. Of course, of course, the last murder in Greenwich was in 1949. If you want, if you want me to put that into perspective, my grandfather was nine years old. I, you know, um, my favorite murder, they make this point all the time is that Mm -hmm. you have to kind of cut them a little bit of slack when things like this are unprecedented in the community. So even if you do have the training, you've never done it in real life. And we know nothing happens by the book. So, right. I was like, I was thinking about this trying, you know, I was trying to put on my empathy hat there are plenty of things that I, so I'm a registered nurse. There are plenty of things that are within my scope of practice that I have no clue how to do because right, I don't exactly. do it. I might have yeah. done it once and that's okay. So I say, I don't know how to do this. Can you please send, can you please show me how to do it or send somebody that does? And I'm sure, you know, it's, there are types of, you know, strategies of therapy and types of therapy that you do not do or do not do regularly that you would definitely need more support on. Um, and I think I, and I think you and I, in our, the culture of our, you know, the culture of our career path and the culture of our profession is like, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the culture of law enforcement. I don't know that they had another choice though. What would the That's other true. choice be to call the FBI and they don't necessarily come in and help. Right. And do, and do you want the FBI and the sleepy, you know, bougie town of credit, you know, so it's, it's complicated. So I feel compassion and empathy for what they went through, but they did do some stupid shit too. Mm -hmm. So what did they find? Oh God. So they, they found, they found Martha with the right side of her skull crushed. Her jeans and underwear were pulled down and the back of her neck was stabbed through with a blunt object, pushing her hair through the wound so she was stabbed from behind so she was stabbed with a nine iron golf club that belonged to the skakels because it was monogrammed because of course it was it was their mother's yeah it was their mother's yep and skakel yeah three feet away a pool of coagulated blood was found they didn't find the handle of the Mm. of the club conveniently the part that would have had dna on it correct so everybody's getting a story. Michael said that he saw Tommy and Martha around 930. Then he went to his cousin's house, came home around a little after 11, went to bed, said he last saw Martha around that 930. Then he watched TV with the live-in tutor. Uh, Tommy took two polygraphs. One was inconclusive. One he passed. This is why polygraphs suck. Yeah, we don't do we don't do polygraphs. We don't they do have that. A large margin of error. Don't ever uh-huh. do a polygraph. They're Never. not even they're not admissible in court, anyways, and they shouldn't be. Um, so they decided. That, so the coroner reports uh, time of death was around 10 p.m. based on the time the dogs were barking. So the fucking dog pronounced Martha Moxley because yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> the dogs are like the best researchers in this entire <laughs> investigation. No kidding timeline as so you know martha moxley died from an unknown person the moxleys moved away i don't blame them tommy flunked out of college michael dove deeply into drugs and alcohol and went to many tough love institutions because those were so i wanted to talk about that actually for a minute so he had been prior to this happening he actually 
I think it was prior to this happening. He had mm-hmm. a, a DUI. So rather than face any criminal charges because they were a wealthy and powerful and connected family, he actually, interesting, interestingly enough, got sent to the Elon School in Ooh. Portland, Maine, which bad, 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 bad news. Um, yeah. It's, it's part of the troubled child industry, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is interested in hearing more about it, Behind the Bastards, the podcast did a really good couple of episodes on it, um, as well as Illuminati. Mm-hmm. I really like her. I love her. And, and if you can just look up the Elon, E-L-A-N school on um, Apple Podcasts, and you'll find both of those episodes. But they did things such as like, confront, quote unquote, confrontation therapy, which is when you sit in the middle of the room and everybody else around you like yells mean things at you. Yeah, because that sounds healthy. Yeah. And I don't know if you got into this at all in your documentary, but um, at one point, a classmate of Michael's, Gregory Coleman, mm-hmm. comes out. This is like in the early, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, and says that Michael told him that what he'd done, Michael said, I killed Martha. Mm-hmm. And after he said that, which was like this huge groundbreaking, they were like, oh my God, he admitted to this. He's obviously guilty. And then Gregory was like, actually, when I said that, I was high on heroin. And when I testified, I was on methadone. Sir. And during the process of the trial, he overdosed on heroin. So then uh, Chuck Segan remembers that their friend John Higgins said that Michael confessed at the Elon school. I did see. Yeah, I it didn't go into as much depth as that, but it but he did confess. It did document that it, he confessed at multiple rehabilitation centers. However, however, John was also John Higgins was also a pot stirrer. And so Chuck in this interview says, like, I th- I realized, like, he had lied about everything basically all the time. So mm-hmm. why and why would he tell me all those years later? Oh, did you know that Michael confessed to me? Like, what was the goal? So he was probably making it up. Yeah. So anyways, those are the sort of things that happened with the classmates at this school. But the the teachers there, if you want to call them teachers, I wouldn't call them therapists. That's for damn sure. The, wrang- the wranglers. We'll call them the wranglers. The people who are supposed to be re- responsible for the children there, but we're not. Correct. Um, told them, hold on. He, They told the leaders there were like, Michael's here because they people think that he murdered a girl in his neighborhood. <laughs> so they, they put him into this confrontation therapy, which the point was to break you down and get you to admit things. And people were yelling at him. Did you murder that girl? Did you do it? Did you hurt her? And he was probably like, yeah, sure. Like, what? I just, I'm just trying to imagine in in what sort of case would any of this be the responsible thing to do? That's all I have to say about that. It was never the responsible thing to do. Speaking of irresponsible. All right. So, so shitty detective work case just went cold and unsolved. We're like, well, we don't know who murdered this person. Well, sorry. So back, so it became resurfaced in 1991 when William Kennedy Smith was on trial for committing a rape, which no shock to anybody. He was found not guilty. Fuck. Uh, So the investigation was reopened and then Mark Furman put himself on the case and Dominic Dunn gave him case files because of course he did. Um, Apparently the two cops that arrived on the scene 
one was told to stay with the body and one went back to the cop car to get, yeah, Hickman and Jones. Jones went back to the cop car. And then the other cop panicked and left the fucking crime scene. Me. <laughs> and then did you watch the fucking clip that I sent? That I, did you do the 20 minute, do the uh, queue up that I told you to watch? No, I didn't. I spit my fucking drink out. I have never done a spit take like that in my life. Like I've like spit my drink out because I thought something was funny, but never out of shock. This fucking guy left the crime scene. His other, his partner found him petting a dog who was licking up coagulated blood. Oh, definitely me. Yeah, yeah, that is you and me. Yeah, that is you and me called onto the crime scene. Uh, (laughs) Like emotionally, I couldn't handle this and this dog knew it. So he came to comfort me and they're like, Kayla, you literally ruined the entire crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined everything. That would be you and I. I should have stayed at the crime. So now we know if we ever happen upon a, on a body, I stay with the body, you go get help. Thank goodness we've figured that out. So, <laughs> and I guess the body got moved a bunch of times. It's like John Bonet all over again. It was the OG John Bonet because white people. Well, it was originally moved by the attacker. Well, yes, we'll get to that. So we found out that Martha was attacked from behind. She had no defense wounds. She was killed with obviously a weapon of opportunity. No one would pick Mm -hmm. out a golf club. And it was a crime of passion. Yes. In the documentary I watched, they interviewed um, Dr. Henry Henry Lee. Oh, we love him. Same as as Jean Benet. And he said, I can't conclude that she knew the attacker. Mm -hmm. He said the attack was frenzied, but more than passion, it involved aggression after the pursuit. So someone grabbed this golf club, took after her, and it was just like above and beyond what you would see in a crime of passion. So there Mm. it was, they hit her so hard that there were imprint marks on her face from the golf Uh. club. And then it broke into four pieces and she was stabbed through the throat with one of the pieces. So there was a blood, there was a blood trail. So she was beaten in the head, moved and beaten again. Mm-hmm. And in, of course, in this documentary I watched, you know, that they tested a golf club, the same one. And she mm-hmm. hits it, this, um, Laura, Laura Coates, she hits yeah. it on a concrete floor and it doesn't break. She so, has to like physically snap it. Oh, so whoever just it, hit over and over and over and over and over again something like that yeah so the cops suspect a drifter off the connecticut turnpike and i have been in traffic in the connecticut turnpike and i have wanted to kill somebody in traffic on the connecticut turnpike but i would never do that or ken littleton the tutor you're talking about the connecticut turnpike Oh, uh, the Merritt. Oh, the Merritt Parkway. Fuck Fuck the Merritt Merritt Parkway. (laughs) Fuck the Merritt Parkway. (laughs) Fuck the Merritt Parkway and the horse it flew went on. Seriously. If somebody's going to make you stab somebody with a golf club, it's the fucking Merritt Parkway. It's true. Still, I would never, I would never drive on the Merritt Parkway. I never have. I've been in a passenger. I have been a passenger. No, thank you. I have been a passenger and it was not fun. And 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 Mark Furman thinks it's one of the Skakel boys. I Nef- think everybody does. <laughs> yes, except, except them. Well, there was no listen. There was no search warrant for the Skakel home because white people. 
And the time of death that they gave rules out the Skakel boys because Tommy said he went upstairs to watch TV with a tutor and Michael was drinking shitty beer in his cousin's basement. Allegedly. Allegedly. But mm. Ken, Ken Littleton was briefly a, sus- a suspect. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, nerdy outsider that they can blame it on. Well, he changed his story multiple times. Yes. Um, he was not he was not able to be accounted for the whole time that they mm-hmm. thought that she the period of time that they thought she was murdered. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think that this is just sensa- sense to sensationalize the story in the doc that I watched. Sure. Uh, they interviewed his ex-wife, Mary Baker. Mm-hmm. And she reported that he had had problems because she married him. Obviously, she married him after. Sure. This all happened. But she said he had problems drinking, psychotic breaks, threatening to kill her. They speculate that maybe he had a personality disorder. He had psychopathic traits. But this is this is somebody who does not have a clinical experience speculating this. But he was, in April of 1976, kicked out of the Skakel home after he was arrested for burg- burglary while drunk. Well, yeah, you'll have that. I honestly, honestly, it was not accounted for. He was just hired on a job and the teenage boys were having a party. I think he was upstairs trying not to get his ass fired. Maybe. John, for what it's worth, John Moxley doesn't think that he did it. No. No. We we, we know who John Moxley thinks is guilty because it's the same one that we think is guilty. Girl, yes. Apparently, one of the uh, police officers that was first on the scene, the non-petting one, um, the non-dog petting one, said that when they showed up there, the shaft was still of the of the golf club was still in the neck. And when the dog petting happened, they came back and the shaft was gone. What? Girl, this is why I'm staying with the body if we ever happen upon one. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Did you re- did you hear about the Sutton Associates investigation in 1995? What the I fuck? Did. So the Skakels, <laughs> as you do when you're very wealthy, did their own investigation of <laughs> the Moxley case because that's not suspicious. Mm-hmm. You're the prime suspect, so you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to launch the. Inv- I'm going to do my very own investigation of people that I paid to show you that I didn't do it because that's. Mm-hmm ironclad right there well i mean that's what the police do so well yeah girl Mm. um the sutton agency it's worth noting is a private investigation agency of um retired law enforcement officers the skakel family spent approximately a million dollars on this in 1995 you said right yeah Mm -hmm. so the law enforcement that you know don't become mall cops go to the work at the sutton agency apparently well a lot of them do pi work after they retire i think it's just they can't. I don't know. They have a lot of trench coats and know where to wear them. And this, but it's worth noting that this was at uh, around the advent of DNA testing because so yes. they knew that they were fucked. Do you want to say? So my note literally says the '90s brought us two wonderful things: me and DNA testing. Oh, and me, I was one year before. In the first page, it admitted that Tommy and Michael both lied to investigation. Do you ever notice that people do that? They just like tell, they just admit to a very, very small lie so people mm-hmm. will believe them. Mm-hmm. Y- you notice that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we just lied about this one little thing. So you could trust everything else that we have to say, fucker. Well, and um, Michael was very strategic in the, the, the quote unquote truth that he came out with. Oh, let me, girl, I got notes. I will do a dramatic reading. They were both very calculated. So Tommy admitted that 
they had sexual contact. So from 9.30 to 9.50, he said that they made out, wrestled, and masturbated each other to orgasm. All that happened in 20 minutes? 20 minutes. I know. I know. Which was, so that was very strategic. So if any of his DNA was found on Martha Moxley, there's a very reasonable explanation for it. Mm-hmm. And then Michael's explanation, which was way in the realm of way in the realm of creepy, he wandered the dark lawns of Belhaven until after midnight. That's a direct quote from the documentary I watched. He climbed a tree outside of Martha's window, threw rocks at her window, and when she didn't answer, he masturbated in the tree and then went home. Why does every case have a weird masturbation? segment i don't know because because men do we yeah so we had to listen to nicholas go to jean masturbate about nicholas go to jean masturbating at a mcdonald's for eight hours <laughs> we have <laughs> we have mutual masturbation with tommy skakel and we have masturbating in a tree with michael skakel which if i had to give the gold medal at least that required some sort of skill i guess yes but his, so Michael, since, you know, the finger had already been pointed at him. Yeah. It couldn't have been me. I was porking off in a tree. When that is your, when that is your so alibi. So him, him saying that creates reasonable doubt though. So right, right. His, his DNA is now at the scene and now they're like, well, you know, it could be because he was jerking off in a tree. I can't. Ugh. So the only problem is Michael's alibi puts him at the crime scene. Right. Yeah. And and the psych eval that they did during the Sutton Associates, whatever, said he had inadequate decision making, which, I mean, he was 15, what teenager does. Um, mm-hmm. If we could insert a photo, we would insert a photo of Kayla's and my, you know, fashion choices when we were 15. But that's, mm-hmm. a, that's another story for another day. So the hot take in my documentary was drunk Michael was pissed. Um that Tommy and Martha were hooking up, which I'm thinking that actually happened. I'm sure they did. Michael and Tommy got into a fight. Tommy overpowered Michael. Martha runs off because these two assholes are fighting and I just need to go. Michael ran after Martha, took a golf club, kills her with the golf club on his way home, drags her into her own yard, crushes her skull, leaves, comes back, and stabs her through the throat because he's afraid that she is not completely dead. So stabbed her through the throat and then masturbates over her body. Ew. I know, but probably. And one thing I have to note, one thing I noted in the documentary, and I actually underlined it in my notes a thousand times and wrote it in really big letters. That house was, the Skakel house was full of fucking people. It was full of family members, probably people that worked there. That was a messy ass crime scene. He walked into, there is no way he was able to clean himself off. He walked into that. He had to have walked into that house full of blood and everybody in that fucking house had a new, had to know what happened. That makes me sick. That's yeah. So where are we now? Conviction. So the case gets reopened. A grand jury indicts Michael Skakel in January of 2000. He was 39 years old, and they showed a picture of him picture of him at 39 years old, and he looks like shit. So trial starts to, in 2002, and in 2002, Michael Skakel is convicted of second-degree murder. He gets 20 years to life. 
the defense claims that two unnamed teenagers claimed that they were going to attack a woman caveman style. Who the fuck says that? Jury doesn't buy it. He gets convicted. Cut to 2003. He's released. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean about the two teenagers attacking someone? Where does that, that was they there was a claim that somebody said they heard um they overheard two teenagers say that they were going to attack a woman caveman style on Halloween night. Oh, so they're saying that 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 could have been what happened instead. I see. Yeah. So cut to 2013, he was released from prison pending a new trial. He was released from prison because um he cited insufficient um defense yeah. on his part. Correct. So cut to 2020 when the world was on fire, a uh, retrial would not be pursued. Right. So in January 2019, a Supreme Court upho- upheld his appeal and his release. So he got to remain. He's still free to this day. And the case is still, quote unquote, unsolved. It's solved. We, it's- we all know he did it, allegedly, in my opinion. It's solved as far as I'm concerned. This is what happens when you have money and power and you're a straight white man in America. Ugh, this is all right. So I'm going to launch into this. This is why this case really gets gets under my skin and really, really bothers me. This had nothing to do with Martha. Martha was a symbol. These two brothers had a rival a rivalry, a level of privilege that I cannot even fathom. And she was a pawn in their fucking issues. And she and, and she lost her life because of it. Yeah, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And I was I was talking to my husband about this and I was like saying, I'm like, this case really got to me. And I said, because I said Martha could have easily been me, it could have easily been Kayla, it could have easily been any of our friends at 15. She wasn't doing anything out of the realm of normal teenage stuff. Mm-hmm. And she got and she got killed. I'm not saying that any anybody deserves to be a victim of a violent crime. I'm not saying that at all. But the relatability of this, and you know, she went out. You know, she went out on a Friday night with her friends and did stupid shit like the rest of us do. And she ended up in the crossfires of somebody's unstable mental health and was killed. Mm-hmm. It's just like. And isn't brought to justice because wealth and power talks in this society. And it's so, it's so maddening. And then I said, I'm like, we should just call this episode like mediocre white men ruin everything. Yeah. I mean, I think in the jury of public opinion or the court of public opinion, excuse me, that um, Michael Skakel is, is guilty, guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think he'll ever live down that reputation, whether or not that impacts him. I don't know if he has, you know, they, they played one of these. So I guess he was going to write a, a book about the Kennedys or something like that. So mm-hmm. he did a bunch of voice recordings to send to a ghostwriter because mm-hmm. he probably can't right um (laughs) (laughs) and in in one of the recordings he talks about this evening and they note that he is more concerned about whether or not he's going to get in trouble for it than he is worried about you know he's he's not thinking like oh my gosh this girl that i was friends with and i just saw that night was murdered he's like they're gonna think i did it that's his concern so i don't think there was ever any modicum of sadness or remorse or regret or anything in for him because his emotional development stopped that night 
Well, it probably stopped a long time before then because they said that yeah. he had he was a drinker since he was 13. We know that the brain's development is stunted when addiction begins, especially when it begins in adolescence. Correct. Yep. And why wouldn't he start drinking in growing up in that environment? Mm-hmm. That was probably yep. around the time his mom died. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. Well, this is I think this is why people like to can you know, like to believe in in an afterlife in hell because you know for people like him who don't allegedly in my opinion get what they <laughs> get what they should get in life we mm-hmm. hope that they get it you know after they die when there's no escape from it because it's 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 sickening it's maddening that whoever you know if if he did get away with it that he got away with it humbly in our opinion uh, it was yeah. This was the this was an exhausting one. This was an exhausting one because I I hate injustice. I hate imbalance of power, and that's what this was. That's yeah. Well, that is the case of Martha Moxley, which is still to this day unsolved, or no one has been punished for it anyway, or doesn't continue to be punished for it. Humbly, in our opinion. What's your random question? I thought oh, of wait. this. Oh, I got it. I have one. Okay. What's a wholesome prank you can pull on Mischief Night? Do you have one in mind? Yes. Go ahead. Writing compliments and words of affirmation in chalk in people's driveways. Oh, that would be cute. That would be cute. You wake up for work and you say, hello, beautiful, have a wonderful day, written in chalk on your driveway. Maybe instead of egging someone's house, you can leave scrambled eggs on their porch for their breakfast. I'd be so happy. <laughs> I that's that's so gross. So, uh, but like similarly, I don't know. Instead of like toilet paper, maybe you could do something like put decorations on their lawn, like people do with those flamingos. That's that's fun. Oh, what if you what if you bought them like a nice pair of new socks from Joblot because I love their socks and like left them on their doorstep. There you go. I love In getting new socks. Oh, I love getting new socks. So mischief night. Do something nice for a neighbor you like. Go egg a misogynist house. What does that guy say in that clip that's going around? Like, drink a Gatorade. I don't know. I'll put it in. I'll put it at the end of this episode. Don't murder people. <laughs> drink a Gatorade. Don't murder people. <laughs> it's better than that. You can find us on Twitter. Well, okay. Well, on Twitter and Instagram at BioPsychPod. And on Facebook at Biopsychosocial, a podcast. Please leave us a five-star review if you would like. If not, it's okay. And take care of yourselves and each other. Do something wholesome. Don't ruin anybody's property unless they deserve it. Have a nice All Hallows Eve. And All Saints Day the next day. Remember the people in your lives that aren't here anymore and celebrate them with any emotion that you see fit. Dia de Muertos. Bye. See you next time. <laughs> we love Bye. you. Bye. So just chill out. You know, drink a 7-Up, eat a moon pie, quit murdering people.